Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for that special music today. It was a blessing. I like that counterpoint harmony and uh, also the message of the of the song today on the cross. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that Christ suffered and died for us. And it also says that all who live godly lives will suffer persecution. So, as we study the life of Christ and also his passion, if we're actually following him, we will experience some of the same. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, We're in a series here on the Sabbath, and (laughs) I literally have three messages as I'm coming up here saying, which one of these angles do I want to take? But after I heard the special music, it helped clarify it for me. So let's just, uh, again, ask the Lord to uh, bless us as we open his word. Father in heaven, thank you today. That your biddings are also enablings. That when you ask us to be afflicted, you tell us that in all our afflictions, you also are afflicted. You don't leave us alone as we pick up the cross you've given us to carry. And you have experience of carrying your own cross which is directly connected to each of those who have accepted you as we learned in our song today. So bless us as we study together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In our series on the, the Sabbath, we've, we've learned that the Sabbath is the issue at the ti- at time of the end, at the end of time. And in our scripture reading today, In Revelation chapter 13, if you turn with me there again, we discover that there are two beasts in Revelation 13. The first one, all the Protestant reformers saw as pointing to the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church itself saw it that way as well. I mean, we shouldn't just pick on the Protestant reformers. The Protestant reformers were Catholics, and so... They saw that, and they preached that, and they had a number of of popes uh, at that time, when this first started out, they had three popes, and so they all preached against each other and used this text against one another. Uh, We just happened to agree (laughs) with them as Protestants uh, to that score. And then that... The last beast, Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, I saw another beast coming out of the earth, two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. So there was a lamb-like beast picturing a Christian nation that would arise out of an unpopulated area and then speak like a dragon, exercising the authority of the first beast in his presence, causing the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. In other words, breaking the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then, verse 14, making an image to the beast, thereby breaking the second commandment, which says, 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or the earth below. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. And also, verse 17, no one may buy or sell. Here's the economics and the Sabbath. We'll show you the Sabbath in a minute, but here's the economics. No one shall buy or sell or may buy or sell except one who has the number of his name. So that's the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And to take the number of the beast and the name of the beast rather than the name of the Lord is the ultimate blasphemy. And then they receive the mark of the beast. So if commandment number one and two and three are covered, what do you suppose the mark of the beast is? It's the fourth commandment or the Sabbath commandment. So that's the economics. You can't buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast. <laughs> So in other words, it's, it's picturing an economic persecution. And um, a direct attack on the economy of those who protest. Now America is a Protestant nation, or it has been. Most Protestants in the world live in this nation. And that was because they were escaping papal oppression. That's why they came to America. In fact, James Madison wrote about that. Jefferson wrote about that. Many people that came to this nation wrote about that. And this is not something that's lost on students of history. It's also not lost on Roman Catholicism. A few years ago, I was shocked to remember how long ago I read this. But I read this book, The Keys of This Blood. And it came out, I think, in 1990. And that's a long time ago. How many of you were not born in 1990? All right. Good, you're making me feel young. Um, And I read this book, which was written by a Jesuit priest, that used to teach in the Jesuit school there in Rome, 1990, a guy named Malachi Martin. And on the front of the book, it says, the keys of this blood, the struggle for world domination between Pope John Paul II, Mikhail Gorbachev, and then the last phrase, the capitalist West. So the title of the book was, We're Fighting Against Capitalism. Do you get that point? In other words, we're fighting against the capitalist West. Now, Malcolm Martin, some suggest, was killed as a result of this book because it revealed too much. And in it, it actually talks about Seventh-day Adventists. It calls them provincialists. It says they have a global picture. And it talks about how these types of religions will ultimately need to be stamped out. And it's because they're a part of Protestantism and the capitalist West. Now, this last week, I spoke last Sabbath on the Sabbath and the economy. 
And I, pro- I quoted from a book, another book, that I'd read a number of years ago. And this book was Ecclesiastical Megalomania, the Economic and Political Thought of the Roman Catholic Church. And I suggested last week that the, the Catholic Church, historically, because of Thomas Aquinas and because of his way of looking at eternal law, natural law, positive or human law, and divine law, held that personal property was something that was not Christian. And then, the day after I preached about that, the Pope came out with an encyclical that I read, and he said that explicitly in his encyclical. And then he said, what we need to have are more rights that are backed up by governments and they need to be under a global authority. We can't trust nation states. We can't trust the nationalistic tendencies of people that try and say they're going to make their nation great again. We can't trust those kind of things. We must have a vigorous UN with a universal law that has teeth and ability to enforce it. So I kind of I kind of shivered a little bit <laughs> when I read that because I realized that what Revelation chapter 13 predicted is now made explicit and as I mentioned last week the social teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and the social program under the moniker of human rights, is actually something that's largely been adopted by America. And many of the things we see debated, free education, free health care, these all originated in encyclicals starting in the 1890s. Every single thing you hear in the political discourse today started out in an encyclical. I don't know if that gets your attention, but it should, because the very last thing that will be talked about is the Sabbath, but the things that have been talked about already are the actual social programs that are meant to bankrupt America, because the fight is against capitalism. What is capitalism? It's the ability to have extra capital That's your own. After the fall of Roman Catholicism, the French Revolution, people suddenly had their own capital. They had surplus. And they could do things for themselves and for other people. And this is why the standard of living skyrocketed, not just in America, but around the world. Around the world. Longevity skyrocketed. The economy skyrocketed. And because people were converted, they were also like the Good Samaritan. They shared. That was interesting in the encyclical that the Pope said, we need to be like the Good Samaritan. But the Good Samaritan somehow is a little bit different story than what the Pope was wanting in the encyclical, which is a strong, centralized body that passes and then 
make sure laws are carried out. It makes people be good Samaritans. And that's not what the story of the Good Samaritan's about. The story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 is of a Samaritan who sees someone who's injured and takes care of them out of their own personal finances. How do they have personal finances? Because they have personal property and they have personal capital. And they're using that altruistically to help others. And the motivation... For it is an intrinsic love of God and love for someone else. It's not some government program that is helping the Good Samaritan. Everything that trickles down comes from the economics of that man. All the ointment trickles down from the goodness of God demonstrated through the Good Samaritan. So the argument in the encyclical was cyclical. Well, that's not what I want to talk about today. As a result of this posturing, and the other thing I'm just going to point out to you, even though this encyclical was a direct attack on America, I heard nothing in the news about the Pope meddling in the political process of America. I had no article about that. I I read no article from a Protestant perspective on what that encyclical meant. None. I heard one article from a Catholic that said, we think the Pope went too far in bringing in a pointing to the head imam of of, a, of, of the Muslim faith. They didn't like that. The only people criticizing the sickle were Catholics. The only American that I found criticizing it until the end of the week, I finally found one person at the end of the week, was someone criticizing because of the name of the encyclical, Brothers All. They said, that's against women. The only criticism they came up with was a gender argument which characterizes most of the idiotic discourse in America today. And that's not because I'm not against women <laughs> at all, but this is so superficial. So I was amazed. I was literally amazed. There are no longer Protestants In the press. In fact, I don't think there are many Protestants at all. So I said, I have to preach a sermon about this, even though I preached about it last week. And I have to protest. I mean, I could get into a long discourse on what was wrong with those arguments economically. But I want to leapfrog a little bit and just say that this type of argument is not going away. And what the Bible teaches is that there'll be more teeth that are added to it and there will be persecution of God's people by this power. And it will be allowed and aided. And something has been a great catalyst for this and it's also something we're sick of hearing about, 
but it's COVID-19. Before I get into that, let me just say there have been persecutions in the past and there are persecutions going on right now in most of the world against Christians. 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution led to Marxism, Leninism, Menshevism, which was kind of a mid thing. Let's just not go so fast, but we'll end up with Marx. Nihilism, nationalism. Lenin kicked it up a notch. So did Stalin. Christians were persecuted and killed by the millions. All with a centralized legal system that made people do what they thought was right for the good of everyone, distributing things as they saw fit. This is exactly the same thing this encyclical said yesterday. Exactly the same thing. Only difference, as Dr. Nedley pointed out in his excellent message last night, if you didn't hear it, go and listen to it, was the difference between a small C and a big C. In Marxism, there's no God. But in the papal thing, yes, there is God. There is Christ as represented by the vicar of Christ. But the same basic tenets directly attacking the capitalist West. Weimar, Germany. (laughs) Weimar, Germany. Chaos. Higher criticism of the Bible in Germany. Led to a national depression. Um, also from the Treaty of Versailles because of World War I. The currency collapsed. Capitalism failed in Germany. Battles in the streets. Opposition parties killing one another. Result, a fascist dictatorship, a Hitler, a Nazi party, millions persecuted and perished, especially Sabbatarians. Jews, and anyone else that kept the Sabbath. So don't say this can't happen, but what about now? Now I'm dependent somewhat on a sermon I heard from Conrad Vine, who's the director of Adventist Frontier Missions. And he brought out some great points I can't really improve on. As we survey the impact of COVID-19 on basic civil liberties, constitutional rights, and religious freedom in the USA, it's evident that when a state of emergency is declared at the state level, possibly in response to ongoing social breakdown, nothing is sacred. No rights are inalienable, including freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and freedom of speech. Did you notice that over the last eight months? First of all, 15 days, then 30 days, and now we're at eight months with people saying you can't worship, you can't assemble, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we used to think, oh, it would have to be something that came from the judiciary, it'd be have to something from the Supreme Court, it would have to be something that came from the Congress and the Senate, it would come from the executive, and no, None of that happened, and yet all those liberties were taken away in the name of a crisis. 
Despite the best of intentions of laws, legislatures, governors nationwide in their battle against the virus, the lockdowns have caused the suspension of supposedly inalienable rights such as those contained in the U.S. Bill of Rights and our First Amendment rights. Now, how many think that that's uh, troubling? He went on, a corrupt national media for whom truth has departed pushes a narrative and agenda whereby our civil liberties, constitutional rights, religious freedoms are indefinitely suspended during a state of emergency. Social media platforms restrict, restrict and deplatform any voices that question the dominant narrative. Dissents to the dominant narrative are demonized in the media and online mobs and are ascribed the worst possible motives by national and state level political leaders. Even if you said you could cure the virus with some kind of remedy, that was taken down. Even on our own campus, our own president was interviewing a physician and YouTube took it down and said, we're taking all your stuff down because the narrative was, this is dangerous. Let's keep everybody focused on keeping yourself safe and don't say anything different. The only problem was with the person that they took down was analyzed by a program called Discern from Oxford University that checked the credibility of all the data on YouTube and discovered that aside from the Journal of the American Medical Association, the physician we were interviewing was the top guy on knowing about COVID-19. And so they called up and apologized and put it back up. He's going to be speaking here in November. Dissenters, demonized, gatherings for worship and evangelism banned in alleged interest of public safety. Casinos could open up at 50%, but churches could not. People could protest in massive groups, but they could not come to church. And that's when I woke up. When I saw that, I was like, no. Not good. Especially being a Protestant. (laughs) Hotlines established and Americans encouraged to report on their neighbors if they suspected of failing to comply with the dominant narrative. So-called track and trace apps used to monitor the physical location of entire populations in China and also now Uploaded on iPhones and any phone you have has that ability if it was needed. So you're being tracked and traced. If you are smart enough to have smart devices, you might say this is dumb, like Alexa or Siri, they record everything you say. And you probably know that because there's pop-up ads for everything you talk about in your kitchen. And if they're listening to that, they can listen to everything. Smart tools, Echo Dot, Amazon's Echo Dot, Google's Nest Mini, as well as Siri and Alexa. 
And then the full force of the administrative state at the state level threatened to destroy the families and livelihoods of those who dissent, including the threat of taking children out of homes by child protective services if the parents are not wearing masks. And that, yes, has happened in America. State attorney generals arbitrarily revoking business licenses and registrations, denying individuals their ability to buy and sell and bank or make a living. International travel brought to a complete halt by a stroke of a pen with thousands being laid off in that industry. Colleges and churches ordered shut. Truth declared as hate speech. So how many of you think that we have the elements in a prescription for end-time persecution? How many think that's probably possible? Ability to buy or sell. Travel can be suspended. We've seen that. Our savings, our RRI and investment accounts can be frozen, never to be used again. Our mortgages and our rents, not able to be paid, forced from homes, possessions gone, personal property taken away. Because the narrative now that's been suggested from the Tiber River is they don't matter anyway, personal property rights. And it's all a battle against the what? Capitalist West. All of these things we mentioned only need a political excuse to be turned on God's faithful remnant. That's all they need. Everything that's happened now has only been as a result of a political excuse or a scientific fact which is what I talked about this morning at 8 o'clock if you did not listen. So what should we do? I've been asking my kids, what would you do if I'm not here? They don't like me asking that question. Dad, I'm glad they don't like that question. (laughs) Well, we'd have a party. (laughs) Why don't you leave now? Let's take you to the airport. You see, the problem is we think persecution could never happen here. We think these kind of things would never happen. But in the last eight months, a lot of things have happened you never thought would happen. And it's not time to be thinking about marriage and giving in marriage and girls and guys and all that stuff. That's not the time. The Bible actually says at the end of time, people are going to be so surprised because they're thinking of marriage and giving in marriage. So don't stir it up. Don't waken it up. Focus on something else. Amen? I mean, (laughs) I'm not against marriage. Don't take that wrong. But I think maybe right now is the time to prepare for the time of the end. Amen? 
So Dr. Vine, in his sermon, he talked about lessons the church could learn, persecuted church could, we could learn. And the first one he quotes is 2 Corinthians. If we're going to put down lessons, how would we prepare for a persecution? We already have the formula in place for persecution. So how would we prepare? You might want to write these down and memorize them. Because even in my small amount of travel around the world, I've been to places where people have been persecuted for their faith. There are people here on this campus who have seen persecution firsthand. These are the people you should be hanging out with. And that's what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Maybe not hang out with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Hang out with these kind of people. With your boyfriend or girlfriend. (laughs) Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of how much comfort? Who comforts in how much? All our tribulation, that we may be able to do what? Comfort those who are in what kind of trouble? Any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And if we're afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Around the world, Christians are suffering. They're dying for their faith. Not only, um, not only non-Adventists, but Adventists. And what this text is saying is that their experience is very useful. So if you haven't read Dr. Fedita's book, read his book. He's right here on campus. Spend some time with him. (laughs) How many can say amen? Amen. Spend some time with people who escaped from communist countries on this campus as well. That's what it's saying. Secondly, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount rejected violence on the part of his disciples. So don't go out and buy machine guns. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Luke 6, 27 and 28. So you don't know who's going to turn on you. You don't know. I mean, I was in the store the other day, and I had a mask on that was a see-through mask. Someone didn't like that. Where's your mask? Started like, you know, menacing. I said, I'm going to get it right now. I went the same way I was going, but anyway. Just because someone's... um, reckless driver doesn't mean you go get in their way. What are some appropriate biblical responses to persecution? Number one, flee. Joseph and Mary fled from Egypt when instructed by an angel to do so. Make sure it's an angel instructing you to flee and not your relatives. (laughs) Matthew 2, 13 and 14. Jesus also commanded his followers to flee from one town to the next if they were persecuted. Matthew 10, 13. 
The Apostle Paul fled on a number of occasions from one town to the next, facing persecution. Acts 9, 25. Acts 9, 30. He did not make fleeing a constant practice, but only fled what was necessary to save his life and ministry. So don't just flee out of selfishness. But one option is to flee. Number two, stay. This is modeled by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 through 52. He could have come down off the cross. How many are glad that he did not flee? They were saying, hey, you who helped others, save yourself. He said, no, this is not the time to flee. So sometimes we stay, sometimes we flee. Hiding. Rahab hid the two spies. Many modern-day Christians are forced to either hide or hide others during times of persecution. So hide or hide others. And when you're hiding... God can really bless you. If you want to read a story to prepare yourself for persecution, read The Hiding Place. Or read 10,000 Shall Fall. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are men, are you when men shall revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for so persecuted the prophets which are before you. And then it has a big heading, and it talks about the similitudes. What are the similitudes? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. Actually, there should be no big heading between those two, Because when you're persecuted and when you go through it, that's when suddenly see, people see the light in you and they see your real flavor. Sometimes we flee too soon. And God wants to reveal his character through us. Rejoice when this happens, right? They see your good works. And they glorify your Father in heaven. Right now, or for most of the time in American history, everybody's in so much darkness they don't see a light. But now when everyone is understanding the dark times we live, the lights begin to shine brighter. I'm going to be a light for Jesus. You see, if you flee, your persevering and enlightening impact departs with you. But don't stay in Sodom. Remember Lot's wife. But remember, even when they left Sodom, he said, I would have saved the city even if there would have been ten people there or less. Which means that faithful Seventh-day Adventists who may be called to stay in a restaurant ministry in a city, we've got counsel on this that usually they're not people that have kids, but faithful people that are are meant to stay actually are protecting the entire city. 
Another possibility is, so again, we're affirming nonviolence, but we may be giving our lives. Revelation 2.10 talks about those who, well, let's look at it, who lay down their lives. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. This was the time period historically of Diocletian. And this is when thousands of Christians were killed by Diocletian. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And he who overcomes, verse 11 at the end, will not be hurt by the second death. The reason people are so freaked out about coronavirus is because they fear death. Because when you don't know God, this is the best you get. And that's why hospitals are so big. And that's why insurance plans are so big. Because people don't really believe that there's life after death, like you do. How many of you believe there's life after death? How many believe that there's a resurrection? Next, exercise legal privileges. The Apostle Paul was willing to use his rights as a Roman citizen to defend himself and appear before Caesar, Acts 22 and Acts 25. When there are legal difficulties for Christians, document the incidents and ask the worldwide church for prayer and for support. Provide financial support for persecuted Christians. Serve as an advocate with government officials. Educate members about their rights. Utilize those rights. How many think we do still have rights on the books? How many want to do everything you can to strengthen the cause of religious liberty? We're told not to sit idly by. I know my my uncle began keeping the Sabbath, got fired, was working on a tugboat. He was on the tugboat. He got fired for the Sabbath. He was a powerful guy. He could swim across the Ohio River and back. But he took it to court through the church. It actually went to the West Virginia Supreme Court. I don't know how big that is. It's a small state, maybe a little building. They went up there. He was given a public defender who was Buddhist. (laughs) And she was saying, explain this to me. And his wife told me about how that Buddhist began thinking about becoming a Christian. He lost the case. (coughs) But his company that he was working for tanked. Because all the people that were good workers wanted to keep the Sabbath too because he had been converting them. So all the good workers left. (laughs) Sabbath keepers are good for the economy. Six days shalt thy labor and do all thy work. They were hard workers. And now they were replaced with deadbeats. The tugboat wasn't tugging much. They were losing all kinds of money. And finally, after a number of months, they called up my Uncle Sonny and said, we are so sorry. We know that you lost and we won, but we're losing big time because we don't have people like you. Would you come back and please bring all your friends? (laughs) When we take legal recourse, sometimes a light is opened up to many other people because of our faith. When we stand for the truth and we have moral integrity, others can come to the truth and will be drawn to it even though we're suffering. 
Next, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you get persecuted. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit and glory of glory and of God rest upon you. Your part, he's, on, on their part, he's blasphemed. But on your part, he's glorified. First Peter 4, 12 through 14. So don't be surprised. Some people come to me, you know, counsel me, but pastor, this is happening. And I make a list, two lists based on Peter. Stuff you did wrong that you should have got beat up for. Not really beat up, you understand. You should have been confronted for. And stuff you did right that you're getting beat up for. This side, you're supposed to be rejoicing. This side, you're supposed to take it patiently. Okay. And we are with me. That's a good list. I, I meet Christians all the time. Oh, Sue. If what they're telling me is true, they should be rejoicing. I'm a very godly wife, but my, my husband is just terrible. Well, then rejoice. It doesn't mean you don't confront him, but if you truly are godly and you're demonstrating godliness to this sinner, then you're doing your job. You're, only hope, you're the only hope of that person being sanctified. Now, don't go out here thinking, I want abuse. I don't want that. You need to confront that, you know, if that's happening. That's when you call the deacons and the elders. You're supposed to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. Next, 1 Peter 4, 13. We are commanded, we just read it, to rejoice in our sufferings. And the Apostle Paul commanded the disciples to rejoice in all things and all times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoicing. Read the story in Acts 16 of him in the jail. Rejoicing. (laughs) We know that all things are going to work together for good. Because we love God. That's why we can rejoice. Next, pray with thankfulness. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Thank you that I'm willing or that I'm able to suffer for your cause. You got to read Dr. Fadita's book. (laughs) If you're about to die, just say, hey, look, I want to preach a sermon to you. Dr. Fadidas was digging his grave. (laughs) And because his Bible was underlined, it saved his life and the life of many people. How many want to be underlining your Bible and get rid of your app? (laughs) Just a minute, let me get my app. I'll charge it up and I'll witness to you. By the way, Congress is debating right now the power of the president to turn off the Internet anytime he wants. In most nations, they can do that. Your internet, you could be put under interdict, internet interdict, immediately. Don't think that because you have your smartphone, you're going to continue being smart. 
So the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory and stronger than the strongest cell phone. Mark your Bible. Dr. Feedy just carried it around with him in a plastic bag. I think that's a good idea. I used to carry mine around in a, in a box. Doug Batzler does the same thing. He has a Bible that's in a box. He never really opens the Bible. He just puts his notes in the back of the Bible. You'll notice that at every text is in Revelation for Dr. Pastor Batchelor. <laughs> He's had that Bible for 15 years. He's never really looked in the middle of it. That's not that he doesn't study. He memorizes the Bible. He memorizes it every night. He knows the Bible, you know, largely from memory. But he has his Bible with him. Take a physical Bible with you. Take a physical Bible with you. You never know when everything else is going to break down. How many like physical Bibles? How many of you do not? Come up afterwards. We have a special time of persecution for you. <laughs> Pray for your fellow sufferers. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. You also helping with prayer for us that thanks may be given by many for the victory that we have. Refuse to be ashamed of the gospel. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. 1 Peter 4, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. If God has truly saved you, you will not be ashamed. The only reason you get ashamed is because it's something for which you can be blamed. Does that make sense? If you're not bold, it's probably because something has a hold on you. Refuse to retaliate. Remember Jesus? He was a lamb led to the slaughter. And he was silent, opened not his mouth, did not retaliate. And he told those around him to cut off people's ears. Don't do that. And he put the ear back on. Trust God that nothing can separate you from him. I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principality nor power, nothing can separate me from the love of God. How many of you say hallelujah to that? Realize there's nothing that comes to you that you can't bear. He knows what you can take. If you're going through it, you can take it. There is no temptation that's come to you such as common to man. And God will prepare a way of escape. And stand firm with your fellow believers. If one suffers, we all suffer. 1 Corinthians 12. Now, historically, folks, Adventists have not been good at this. I point you again to Dr. Fidita's book as an example. They turned on each other. They killed each other. Not just there. They turned on each other in Germany. They killed on, turned on each other in Russia. They turned on each other almost everywhere. But don't be surprised by that. 
So I guess as we see these events coming, do we just dismiss it in our minds? I've never seen something like I've been seeing over the last eight months in my whole life. Should we be preparing? Should we be talking about what we do if we're no longer there? Dr. Vine in his sermon talked about this man who was a pastor and all of a sudden he didn't turn up in China and he wasn't back home for eight months. They didn't know where he was. And then he turned back up at church. They said, where were you? Oh, I was in a cell. I was in a prison. You think that can't happen here? I actually have a relative that happened to. Accused of something? I don't know how long they were in jail. I think, what was it, a year? And they had 10 minutes. Not even 10 minutes. The police showed up, accused them of something, and took them away. Don't think that can't happen here. So who's going to talk to your kids about what you really believe when you're gone? Does it matter to have family worship in the morning and the evening? Or are you going to say, no, let's sigh about it and I don't want to do it. Well, let's just have a short prayer. Or are you going to listen to the voice that's there while it's there? What are you going to do financially? Have you prepared for that? How many of you think that you have a message from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that lets you know about these things? How many thankful that it lets you not only know what's coming, but how to prepare for it? Is our message clear? Is our message relevant? Is our message something that should be shared? In Stalin's prison camps, the guards knew. This is a great illustration that Dr. Vine had. He lived in Russia. In Stalin's prison camps, the guards knew that if a prisoner had one personal item, like a comb, the threat of confiscating that one material item would guarantee compliance from the prisoner through his decades-long sentence. What's that one personal item? If someone asks you to give this up, could you give it up? I don't know about me. I kind of freak out. Where's my phone? One personal item. They could keep them For decades, because of one measly comb or pencil. Or toothbrush. 
That's all it took to buy a human heart. That's all it took. Today we are going to have a baptism right after the service. A baptism means that you're getting rid of personal items. Baptism means you're dying to self. And you're saying, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Even though my country gives me the right to personal property, I would surrender it all for you. I don't need my house. I don't need my car. I don't need my smartphone, my iPad. Because you're enough. How many want to have a rebaptismal experience in your mind today and in your life? And we end with hope. We end with hope because there's no other foundation for the body of Christ but Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 3.10 There's no other gospel than that of Jesus Christ alone. Galatians 1.8 There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ alone. There's no other mediator between God and man except Jesus Christ alone. There's no other being worthy of our worship other than the Creator God, Christ alone. And there's no other day to replace the Sabbath day. It's the seventh day alone. And there's no other law to obey above the Ten Commandment law. Not natural law. Not positive law. Only God's law. And there's no other power for salvation through faith than Jesus Christ alone. And there's no other hope than the blessed hope alone. And there's no other name by which you can be saved except Jesus Christ alone. Did you notice there's really only one thing you need in all of those nuances? What is it? Christ alone. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.